vlogger. Now, happy belated new year, vlog. Good plan, looking vlogger. Bible reading, let me stop. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Igolong 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Igolong 6. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, a, is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I commanded thee this day shall be in thy heart. This is the word of the Lord. Me, chapter number six will be our text this morning. I had the privilege this last week of holding a little baby. Parents are here, it's part of our church. Uh, those parents, without a doubt, know and understand that this child is a heritage from the Lord, a gift from God, and I have no doubt that that family will do their best to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm pleased as I look around our church and I see a lot of babies being born. Uh, please don't look at me and Becky as contributing to that number. Uh, I think we are a little closer to Abraham and Sarah than to Mary and Joseph, all right? On the other hand, later in the week, I met with a young lady, has a baby, and there's a lot of questions. Not quite sure who the father is, not even sure if she wants to keep the child, give the child over to somebody else to raise. She has personal hopes and aspirations of moving overseas, and this child will just get in the way. And I think to myself, what a difference. One with lots of hope and lots of future, and the other one, we have no idea. Things in common, I was present for both. Things in common, both of them are babies. But a great big difference is I look at one with parents that want to raise to the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and the other sees the child as an obstacle to their life. I think that that difference is easy for us to see. And even as I come into a church setting, I believe that we as parents sometimes look and say, I don't know if I'm doing what I should be doing. I don't know if I'm doing it right. And I remember sitting not too long ago with a Christian brother He's been in a Baptist church for all of his life, having raised his children. His children now are grown. And I listened as he poured his heart out. With tears, he said, Pastor, I did everything that I was told to do. I had my children in church every time the doors were open. I made sure that my kids went to youth group. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And he said, this morning... All of my children have walked away from God and doing their own thing. Only me and my wife attend church anymore. And I thought to myself, my heart breaks. So I listen to Dad say, I did what I was supposed to do. I think to myself, there are things in the Scripture that often I think we overlook. And guys, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I don't think that it, there is a cookie-cutter method where you say, well, if I do this and this and this, then these are going to be the results. God's given every single person the ability to make choices for themselves. And you and I can only be responsible for the decisions or the things that we put in, and what happens on the other end will be a result of them making decisions. But there are still principles in Scripture, like Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so if I can just speak some hope for moms and dads that did their best and tried to train, and now they are children who have gone on and made decisions that you can't reconcile. 
Can I encourage you? If you've done on the front end, the principle still stands. When he's old, there are still things that will ring true in their mind. But in the meantime, can I encourage us to be godly parents and do absolutely everything we can And my hope is that as a result of our time together in the Scriptures this morning and over the next three weeks after today, so I plan on doing four sessions on godly parenting, and my hope is that you'll have a better handle on how to do this. And especially if it can be rooted in the Word of God, this will be our greatest help. So you're there in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'll just kind of give a little bit of a historical background to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, The... Book of Deuteronomy gives the speech of Moses as he's now 120 years old. We say he's lapun straight as he stands up to give an admonition to the people. The word Deuteronomy, it's actually an English word that comes from the Latin meaning second law. And so sometimes we would call it the second law because Moses gives the law another time. He did it back in Exodus 20. He was 80 years old at that time. And now here he does 40 years later. It's an entirely different group of people. When he gave the law the first time in Exodus 20, uh, all of the ones that are now adults were either not, not yet born or they were still children. And so now he has a whole different audience as he repeats the law to them. And as he comes through from chapter 1 to chapter 4 in the book of Deuteronomy, he gives them a historical background. He says, this is where we used to be. We, God brought us out of Egypt. And he gives a, uh, a retelling of the things that they've experienced during their 40 years of wandering. And then in chapter 5, what we now have is, and call it chapter 5, uh, that chapter is dedicated to him retelling the law. Those things that you and I would know as the Ten Commandments, they're listed again in chapter 5. And then he comes into chapter 6 where we are today. And I might just summarize the words that he gives in chapter 6. Summarize them like this. He says there are some very important things that you need to remember. There's important things that you need to remember. And then he adds on to it in verses 6 to 9. And we'll go into them in just a minute. He adds on to them, onto the statement, remember these things. And then he says, teach them to your children. And there's some very specific things that we need for our children. Uh, Let me read with us verses 3 down to verse 9. I know we took our scripture reading from a portion of this, but let me read verse 3 down to verse 9, because he's going to tell us there's some things that you need to remember. Remember what it is that God has done, and remember what it is that He has commanded. And so let's read verse 3. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt serve the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head. Thou shalt be, they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So remember, God's people, remember what God has done and remember what God has commanded. I might say it this way, God has told us as parents that there are things that we need to teach our children, and I think you can boil them down to two. We need to teach our children, one, to know God, and two, obey God. If you were to sum all of the things that you need to teach your children, sum them into two. Know God. Children, I want you to know God. For what good would it do, brothers and sisters, what good would it do if I turned out one of the greatest physicists in all of planet Earth, or one of the greatest nuclear scientists, or one of the greatest medical physicians? What if I turned them out as my child went on to do these great feats, but he doesn't know God? In this life it will have benefits, but for eternity I lost my child. To know God, and secondly, to obey God. For the truth of the matter is, if my child is obeying God, all of the rest of those horizontal relationships in his life will fall into place. 
For your vertical relationship with God is displayed in your horizontal relationships in life. And so if I can teach my children to know God and to obey God, I've fulfilled what He wants me to do. Now let me show it to you here in the passage. Verse 4 and 5. Teach your children to know God. See it in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Jesus repeated that commandment in the New Testament. The primary thing for us to teach our children is to know God. This is a spiritual matter, and yet it affects every bit of your physical life. And then in verse 6, teach your children to obey God. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So teach your children. And how do you do it? It's in verses 7 to 9. I'll come back to that in a few minutes with some practical helps. So we need to teach our children to know God and to obey God. And the first thing today, next Sunday, we'll focus in on knowing God. And then the third and fourth sessions, we'll focus in on obeying God. What does that look like? So today, I'd like to focus in on knowing God by understanding grace. By understanding grace. Grace is so very important, and it's very much at the core of the character of God. This is what I mean when I say we teach our children to know God. Here's what I mean. We need our children to know what the character of God is like. God has character. And He has, we could say He's a holy God, and He's a just God. And we've been talking for the last several weeks in our church about needing to be holy as He is holy. And His justice rings true on the back end of His holiness. His holiness sets a foundation and says, this is the way you're supposed to live. His justice says, you did not live that way, therefore there is punishment for sin. And then right on the back of that is His grace. And oh, friend, this morning, understanding the grace of God is so foundational for you and I in our spiritual walk, and it's so important for our children to know. There's misconceptions about grace. People think, well, I need to show grace to my children. And so when they think that, they act in certain ways that are not gracious. I might say, instead, it's quite lazy. Your child does something that they're not supposed to do. And in that moment, you, 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 you'll run to one of two sides. You, you'll say, I just got angry, so because I got angry, I, we'll talk about that later. But the other one would be, well, I'm supposed to show grace. So because I'm supposed to show grace, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to come over here and pray that my child will start doing right. God didn't tell you, go to the corner and pray. God told you to raise up your children to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a phrase that I'm going to repeat a lot over the next few weeks. Now, the word nurture has a meaning. The word nurture literally means chastening. I know that you thought, as I thought, nurture has to do with nourishment and, and, and help them. No, the word that's translated as nurture literally means chast chast chastening, chastisement. And the other word there, admonition, admonition means rebuke and warning. So let me come back to this idea of Junior did something wrong in the house and you say, I'm going to show him grace and you just close your mouth and don't say anything. You go over to the corner and pray, maybe. You go over to the corner and pray and God's saying, no, I told you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Chastening. Let me help you from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24 says this, He that spareth his rod hates his son. In other words, if you don't issue punishment, you're displaying hatred to your son. Many times, the book of Proverbs does this. It'll give a positive on one side and a negative on the other. And that's what's happening in this verse. So the one who spares the rod hates his son. And on the flip side of that coin, he that loves him chasteneth him 
betimes, frequently. Often, there's a need for the child to receive correction. You might say something, but pastor, that's old-fashioned, and modern science teaches us that you should not use a rod, and you should not spank your child. And I might just pause and ask you, would that be the very same science that tells you that we came from monkeys? Is it the very same science that's been proven wrong in so many different areas? And oh, guess where we have ended up as a society when we have stopped chastening our children? Oh, just have a look at our society. As we have removed the law, I'll talk about the law in a moment, but just look at what has happened within society. When you remove the law and you say there is no punishment for sin, oh, look at what happens on a Black Wednesday. The law is there. It needs to be in place. And chastening punishment is you did not follow the law, therefore there needs to be a punishment. And by the way, if you're a Christian this morning, you'd understand this. The book of Hebrews tells us that God even chastens His children. This is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourges every son whom He receives. If you're a child of God and you don't follow Christ and you don't live holy like He is holy, He will apply chastening to your life. You see, if the Heavenly Father's going to do that to you and I, and He's called you and I to raise up our children to the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it's our responsibility also to apply, I'll just use some phraseology, apply the board of knowledge to the seat of learning. There's a need for us to use these biblical phrases. The rod is important. And there's a proper time for using it. The rod should never be used in anger. Never. There should never, hear me well, there should never be a time when you pick up the rod and out of anger spank your child while you're angry. If you're angry, control yourself. That's sin. If Junior has done something and now you're angry, it's better for you and for him for you to pause Realize that this is a moment of sanctification in your life, that God has allowed this to happen in your life. It's not an offense to you. It's a sanctifying moment for you. And so Junior has done something wrong, and instead of you being angry and taking that anger out on him just because it feels good, that's sin, that's abuse. Don't do that. But instead, it's better for you. Tell him, hey, Junior, you go stand in the corner. I'll be over there in a minute to talk with you. And then you go and calm yourself down, and get things straightened out between you and the Lord. And then once things are calmed down between you and the Lord, now it's time for you to have a conversation with your son. And in this moment, now, there's instruction to be applied. And the instruction looks like something like, son, you did this wrong, and you should know that that's not how we act. And your actions are a violation against the character of God. When we sin... There's punishment for it. And then, following after that, is the application of punishment, but then following after the application of punishment is also a display of love. And son, I still care about you. I think to myself, maybe perhaps an example would be, uh, Junior has a tennis ball in the house. And if your house is anything like it was, like my house was when I was growing up, we were not allowed to throw the ball in the house. Maybe you let your kids throw the ball in the house like blue you, and house blue you. But if there's a rule in the house that we don't throw the ball in the house, give it to an eight-year-old boy that eventually he will have a ball in the house and he can't help it. And he starts to bounce the ball, maybe it's a tennis ball, and you know how little boys are. The goal is to throw it at the ground as hard as he can so that it can go up and t- touch the ceiling. And he'll keep doing it until he can get the ceiling. And in that moment... Junior throws the ball at the ground and it goes up. Maybe nobody noticed in the house. And maybe he's on his third or fourth attempt before somebody notices. And in this moment, mom says, Junior, we're not supposed to throw the ball in the house. Junior does a really good job of turning a deaf ear to mom. He's learned something. He's learned that mom doesn't mean it until she starts screaming. This is a parenting moment. When mom says, you need to stop, 
that's the moment when he needs to stop. But oh, how often instead, mom says, I told you to stop, but he just keeps on going. Big sister says, hey, you're going to break something, you better quit. And he keeps on doing it, and finally it goes through a window, smash a window. And in how many times do we see this happen? And in that moment, dad jumps up, and in all of his anger, your mom has said it, your sister has said it, and you know it, it's a rule in this house, you don't do it, and look what you've done, you've broken our window. And up comes dad, grab the son, and belt the living daylights out of him. That's abuse. That's sin. That's not the way we should act as parents. That's not godly parenting. It should have been corrected at the very beginning. He throws the ball on the ground. And kids do things. We'll talk about this in a minute. Kids do things, and they forget rules, and they have to be reminded. And the moment that mom said, son, we don't throw the ball in the house, is the moment it should have stopped. And he throws the ball the second time, That's when mom puts down what she's been doing and come and apply the rod in that moment. Or dad step into the situation. Honey, I've got this. Junior, you listen to your mother. Your mother said, this is not about making little soldiers. It's about helping our children learn who's an authority in their life. And we'll talk about that in about two weeks about the fact that God has placed that authority into your hands and you are a physical manifestation in your child's life of the authority of God. Because God has said, children, obey your parents. That's God's authority in their life. Mom and dad, if you don't live up to that and hold them to that, you're allowing them to fail. Raise them up to the nurture and admonition of the Lord never in anger. And I might say that as your children get older, sometimes the rod might take on different forms. When I was growing up, my dad was an expert at wielding the rod. My brothers and I, we were experts at receiving it. (laughs) The rod that was used in the house when I was growing up was a stick about that long and about that big around. You might say, Four or five hundred mil long, ten mil thickness. We were told as boys, if there was not currently a stick in the house that was already designated for that purpose, there were four of us, and one of us got in trouble. Dad would tell us, here's a knife, go out in the yard and cut one. Make sure it's the right size. I have to say, sometimes the pursuit of a new stick was worse than the spanking itself. Because we knew if you don't bring back the right size, you're going to have to go back and get another one. (laughs) For our girls, when our girls were growing up, we didn't have a tree in the yard, so we used a wooden spoon. It served the same purpose. But as our girls grew up, the use of a wooden spoon when they were 12, 14, 15, 16 years old, not quite as effective. The use of the rod might take on different forms as the child gets older. For us, we found quite effective. You don't get to use an iPad for a week. Suddenly, they felt that in a different place. Or extra chores. I need you to weed the garden, and it needs to be all weeded before the sun sets. Or you're going to need to take this toothbrush and clean all the grout and the tiles. It's not because I'm trying to turn you into a slave. It's because... Sin brings pain in life. You need to learn this lesson, son. You need to learn this lesson, daughter. I remember being 16 years old and my dad said something to me that was worse than any spanking I ever received. I don't remember what it was that I did, but I do remember in my mind, I still have the picture of the moment that it happened. I was walking out the door. I had done something. Dad had found out about it. I didn't want him to know about it. And in that moment, I'd have gone with five spankings over what he said. And what he said to me in that moment was, Son, I'm really saddened by what you did. I'm disappointed in you. You see, a child that's raised to love his parents and honor his parents wants his parents to be pleased with him. How often do we just let the kids run 
And when they hit 15, 16, 17 years old, instead, they now have a different mindset. Dad belts me up when I go too far, but now I'm 17, I'm big enough to belt up dad, so try it, dad, bring it. And there's no honoring in that. Exodus 20, I think it's verse 4, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. Honoring is not something you only do when you're 8 to 10. Honoring is something you do for life. And so I might just remind you that perhaps the rod will take a different form as your children get older. Now come back to grace. We need to teach our children to know God by understanding grace. And I'll tell you this morning, grace is hard. It's hard. It's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard to display. It's hard to model. But I want you to know it's something that our children need to know well because it's a character of God. And if our children are going to know God, they need to know and understand grace. And they need to see what grace is like. You see, grace has roots. It starts off with roots in the law. Without the law... Grace is meaningless. I'll explain that. So if all you do is just go, children can do whatever they want because I'm giving them grace. Again, that's not grace, that's laziness. Uh, There needs to be a law that says these are the way we live. These are the things we do. These are positive actions. These are negative actions. And then grace comes as a flow out from that. But without the law, there is no grace. It's just floating through life. But grace, rooted in the law, actually becomes true grace. So when I look at the law and I think of the types of law that are in our lives, the law of God from the Scriptures is a perfect law. I think of God's law. We mentioned the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, and don't have any graven images. And he says, honor your father and your mother, and don't steal, and don't cheat, and don't lie, and don't murder, and don't commit adultery. These are all perfect laws of God. And then I think also of the parents' laws. We as parents put laws in place for our children, and they're admittedly, maybe they're imperfect. Not like God's laws, but they're still laws. Go to bed at 8 o'clock. And I might say that that would be a great one. If you don't do that with your children, it would be a great one. Imagine, they're going to get up and go to school tomorrow. They get up and go to school. They're getting up somewhere around 6 o'clock. And if you let them stay awake as long as they want, they'll stay awake until midnight playing video games and watching TV. And tomorrow they'll suffer for it all day long in school. And so you have a law in your house. You go to bed. It's 8 o'clock. Or maybe as they get older, it's 9 o'clock. But you go to bed. You're going to get rest for tomorrow. That's a good law. It's not God's law, but it's your good law. It's okay. Are you going to eat the food that's on your plate? Because you're going to be thankful for the food that's been brought before you. And you're going to eat such things as are set before you. That's a First Thessalonians law. And you as a parent can implement that because you know eating that cabbage and Ibica is good for you. You might not like it, but it's good for you. It's going to help you to grow healthy. And you get to lay down those laws. Are you going to do the chores when you get home? Sweep the floor? Are you going to help mom with cutting the firewood? I know that often we are now at a point in society where we don't assign chores. Mom, can I remind you, you are not the child's maidservant. Dad, teach your children to do chores. These are imperfect laws, but they're laws nonetheless. Study, do your homework, dress and act appropriately at church, stop fighting with your sister. These are laws. And the law has its limits. As we've seen in the New Testament, especially in the book of Galatians, the law has its limits, but yet the law is still good. Romans chapter 7 and verse 7 lets us know. Here's what Paul said. What should we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, is the law a bad thing? God forbid. Nay, I would not have known sin but by the law. I not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. 
In other words, the law serves a purpose. It lets you know this is what's sin and this is what's not sin. So the law does serve a good purpose, but the law by itself is not enough. And so I want to just be careful here with promoting the law because I can promote the law to a point where then it goes wrong, where I say, put the law in place, and then you go, well, my child isn't following the law that I've laid down. They don't do their chores. Therefore, they're a bad, wicked kid, and you kick on them. It's not the right way. So the law only can tell us this is right and this is wrong. There are further things that we need beyond just the law. Here's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, because God gave us a display of His grace. Listen closely to the words of Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commends His love towards us. He shows us His love. In that while we were yet sinners, breakers of the law, Christ died for us. I'll read verse 9 in just a moment, but I want you to think real quickly with me. I said grace is hard. Grace is costly. Grace is difficult to do because the law is so much easier. You did right, good job. You did wrong, punishment. That's easy. Grace is costly. Grace means you've got to get up from the chair and go address this issue while it's still young. I've got to get up and put in work into this. Grace is hard. And for God, the greatest display of grace ever Later in Romans 8 and verse 32 said he did the hardest thing ever. He gave us his son. That's grace. So we broke the law and on the back end of it, there was punishment. But God gave his son the hardest thing ever. God commends towards us his love in that while we were yet sinners, breakers of the law, Christ died for us. And then he continues on in verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We deserved the wrath of God upon us. But instead of us receiving the wrath of God, Jesus stepped in and took the wrath of God. And now we can hide in Jesus. Now here's a beautiful moment. Before I go further, and I want to be very practical with us the rest of the time, but before I go further, I want you to remember we're trying to teach our children to know God by understanding grace. So what better place to go when teaching our children? What better place to go than the cross? You get to say, son, you broke the law, whether it was God's law or it was my law. You broke the law and there's punishment for that law. And that punishment is painful. But be thankful, son. Be thankful, daughter, that you're not receiving the full brunt of God's punishment upon your sin, which is separation from Him forever in hell. But instead, son, be thankful with me that God sent Jesus to the cross to take our punishment. And in so doing, what you're doing is you're cementing the idea that God is a gracious God. And He's been good to us. Continually remind your children of this. They need to know God. And they need to know Him by understanding His grace. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning having a couple of, I'll give you three uh, ways, practical ways that you can display grace to your children. The first one is this, and it might catch you off guard. The first one, confess your sin to your children. Confess your sin to your children. The book of James in chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This verse applies to your family as well. When we read something like this, confess your faults one to another, we think to ourselves, well, I am a 45-year-old man, so I need to go and find another 40- to 50-year-old man, and I will confess my faults with him, and then he can walk through and he can pray for me. One of the greatest things that ever helped me in my family walk was when my pastor shared with me and reminded me that the commands of Scripture also apply to my family. Confess your faults one to another. Friend, if you've sinned and your children know about it, 
You need to confess that sin to your children. Last night, and I don't know of anybody that was this way, but example, last night, you and your wife had a really tough argument, and things got a bit loud, and things were a little bit tense in the house, and the two of you said some things that really you didn't really mean, but you just told each other what you were feeling and thinking in that moment. And you sinned against each other. You know who else was in the house, right? Your kids were sitting over on the side. And maybe, if you've done this enough, like Becky and I did in our early years of our marriage, maybe your children sat off on the side, cowering and crying, thinking, is tomorrow going to be the beginning of the end for my parents? That's sin. And you need to confess that. You see, what you're doing is you're displaying grace when you confess your sin to your children. Son, you saw me say things last night that I shouldn't have said. You saw me sinning against your mom. You saw me sin against you, and what I did was wrong. What you're doing in that moment is you're displaying the character of God in Him extending grace. We need to confess our sin to our, our children. Let them know God is doing a work in my life and His grace is changing me, son. You see, if all you're trying to do is put on a show and tell your children, I'm perfect, listen to me, all you're going to do is you're going to create more hypocrites who are just mirror images of yourself. You realize that when things happen in the house, God's brought them for your sanctification. I think of Romans 8 and verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And we quote that verse quite often. God brings and allows bad things to come into our life. But then verse 29 tells us why that happens. Here's verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, them He also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why is it that these bad things come along in our lives? It's so that God can use them to shape us into the image of His Son. That's sanctification. It's for your good that these bad things are happening. We had a rule in our house when the girls were growing up. We had a rule in our house. At night, when you're getting ready to go to bed, you put all your toys away. I don't care where those toys are at. If they're in the living room, they're in the kitchen. Kids are kids. They will put toys everywhere. You get all your toys and you put them away. There's a box for your toys to go in. You put them in your box. We will pray together. Then you go to sleep. You don't leave toys out. That was the rule in our house. It, that rule was twofold. One, because we're trying to teach character to them, have a clean life. But also, it was for my own protection. Here's what I mean. If you know me, you know that I love early mornings. I typically am up and around and quite into the day, well before 5 o'clock. This is just my normal how I'm wired. Don't try to ask me to do anything at 10 p.m. I'm a dead man at that time. But early mornings, that's me. It means that I often will walk through the house while it's still dark. And so if my daughters had left some toys out in the night, there's a really good chance that that's going to be a problem for me. And if you know anything about Legos, you know what I'm talking about? The little Lego bricks? I know they made them out of plastic, but I'm pretty sure at night they turn into razor blades. Because if you step on one of those, it will change your day. And I remember several times as my children were growing up, I remember as I would walk through the house in those dark early morning hours, my gift to them, I'm not turning the lights on, I'm going to go all the way to my office before I turn a light on. I'm going to go all the way to the toilet before I turn a light on. I'm not going to put the light on in the middle of your room or in the living room so it'll cast the light. I'm going to be nice to you. And as I'm walking through and I would get, oh, there's that Lego brick. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe you act like I did. I don't have children in my house anymore to, to do this to me anymore. Justice lives with us, and she always takes care of her toys. Thank you, Justice. I walk through the house, and I step on that toy, and I would pick it up. I wouldn't turn on the light. I'd walk to their room and throw that stupid brick into their room, secretly in the back of my mind, hoping 
It'll wake them up. They'll learn their lesson. Then I would go and sit and read, read my Bible and have my devotions while I'm really angry and I'm reading, Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Got my coffee and I'm coughing on it, choking on it. <laughs> the hour will come when they will rise and they will face my wrath. <laughs> they get up and I let them know I stepped on one of your toys this morning, given it was two hours ago. We have breakfast, and I give them a lecture before we have breakfast, and then I pray together and I remind the Lord during the prayer that these wicked children that you've given to my hand have been dropping toys for me to step on. There are people who don't have Lego bricks, and my children leave them out for their father. You know what I'm doing? Just sinning against my kids left, right, and center. God allowed that Lego brick to be left out for my sanctification. And in my reaction, I got to have a revelation of where my heart is. Oh, sure. Guys, hear me well. The law said, thou shalt put thy toys away before thou goest to bed. It's what the law said. It might not have been in written, writing, and it might not have been perfect, but it definitely was a law of the house. And certainly there was a need to address the issue was a one single Lego brick, maybe just a reminder, but if it was a whole platoon of Lego bricks that were out there, this is a major issue we'll discuss. But the display of grace comes on the backside of that. We don't need to take this on for hours and hours. It can be handled, take care of it, move on. There's a need for grace in our lives, and it can start as moms and dads with confessing our sin and letting our children know that, yes, me too, I'm a sinner before a holy God. This will change the way I act towards my children. God's given us this ability to do it. And I want them to see that God gives grace through the Lord Jesus. And we need to model this for them. Second, second practical way that you can help your children to see what grace looks like. Second, encourage open discussion encourage open discussion. I take this directly out of Deuteronomy 6, and if you're there still with me, you can see it. This is Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 6. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now watch how you teach them. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt, they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, thou shalt, they shalt, thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Now, you can go with a Judaism version of verses 8 and 9 and have the phylacteries where you literally write them on a piece of paper, put them in a box and tie them to your forearm, put them on your forehead, put them in a little box and nail them to your doorpost. You can go that route, but I think that the idea here is the words of God and the teachings of God should be so much a part of your life as, as, as if you're using your right arm. It's as if you're going through your, your life and what is on the forefront of your thoughts is the fact that God's a good God and this is His character and I want my children to know about it. It should be so that when I come through the doors of my house, as I walk into the house, I'm thinking of, oh God, how gracious you've been in allowing us to have a place where we can have shelter over, over our heads. And these are the ways that I believe God's trying to get to us. But the way that this happens with our children is not I send them off to Sunday school, and in Sunday school they'll hear about the goodness of God, and for the rest of the week I'll teach them about the rest of life. It's not the way this works. Listen again to the words of verse number 6 and 7. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, diligently teach them unto thy children, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I challenge you to find a part of life that doesn't fit into those four statements. When you're going through life and you're walking, or 2024 driving, when you're moving, when you're sitting down, when you're headed to bed, and when you're getting up. These things should be spoken of in your life. 
The word diligently, it's the same word that, that shows a meaning of sharpening a knife. And if you've ever sharpened a knife, there's a way that you sharpen the blade. You wet the blade and you diligently pay attention to the knife. Nobody grabs a knife to sharpen it and goes, okay, I'm just going to sharpen the knife. All right, let's go. No, you grab it and you diligently pay attention to the edge of the blade. I want to sharpen this blade. And so as you teach your children, do it diligently, intentionally. I'm looking for opportunities that I can talk about God in my life. And did you know that God has given you an infinite number of things to talk to your children about that have, have to do with Him? I hope that you're not struggling to find things to talk to your children about when it comes to God. I look back upon my own life and I think of certain things. There are certain things that I cannot look at without thinking of God. And it has everything to do with the way I was raised. Just the other day, a rainbow was over the campus. My wife stopped me. She's there in the vehicle. She said, you've got to look at, the, at that rainbow. The very first thing I think of when I see a rainbow, very first thing I think of, God always keeps his promises. You know where that comes from? It comes from a mom and a dad who over and over and over when I was a child did not talk about so much Roy G. Biv and the colors of the rainbow in their order, but instead they focused on the fact that God always keeps his promises. And every time you see a rainbow, son, remember God made a promise in the Bible and he has always kept that promise. And that promise will always be a reflection of all the other promises. So every time, 45 years old, I see a rainbow, first thing I think of, God always keeps his promises. I remember hearing my pastor over and over and over when I was growing up. My pastor would talk about sunsets and how sunsets are the handiwork of God on the sky. I cannot help when I see a sunset, and you and I are gifted with some of the most gorgeous sunsets on the planet. Every time I see one, I think of the same phrase. There's God painting another picture. I think of these gifts that God has given to me because of people that were raising me and teaching me of God's interaction within creation and the life around us. I, I hear the words of Psalm 19. As I walk out and I see the stars, there's handiwork. And they're declaring His glory. I remember a few years ago, my brother Nate, his first trip here, he came this past year and did, did our youth camp. His first time here, we drove down to Papa. I just wanted to show him a village, a local village. We just drove down to Papa, drove around, and then we we're coming back. Of course, we drove past the LNG plant, and I explained to him, hey, I do services there on Sunday nights and all of that sort of thing. And as we came back from Papa, and we're passing gate three and coming this direction, he said something that has changed the way I look at LNG. He said it like this. He said, that right there is an example of people following the command of God, and most likely they don't know it. I said, what do you mean? He said, God said, subdue the earth. I never thought of it like that before. Subdue the earth. Who in their right mind would have ever guessed that you could take gas out of the ground in the southern highlands and pipe it 700 kilometers and bring it down here and turn it into a liquid and put it on a ship? Who would have thought of that? And yet, all the science behind it as man has taken the commands of God and subdued the earth. Every time I look at the LNG plant now, I go, God at work. Friend, there is no shortage of things to talk with your children about and God's interaction with man and show them the grace of God. Everything in life should be placed within the context of God's character. And so talk of God's character with your children. And you realize one of the worst things that you could ever do for your children is to shut down conversation. It's one of the worst things you could ever do. And just imagine Junior comes home from school. He's second grade. He's at seven years old. I can just imagine Junior comes home, he's seven years old, and he's dejected. And you ask him, hey, what's wrong, Junior? And he says... There's a girl in my class, and she's so pretty. And I just have a crush on her, and I really wish. But there's another boy, and he likes her too. And I just don't know. And, and you know what every one of us is bent to do in that moment? We're bent to say, you're seven. Get over it. You're too young to love. 
I don't ever want to hear this again. And you know what we're doing? We're shutting down conversation. And we're shutting down open communication. And guess what Junior just learned at seven years old? He learned, I never talked to mom and dad about this stuff. And when he's 17, you're going to die to have that conversation with him. Oh, don't shut down conversation with your children. Invite it. Have open communication with them. You're displaying grace. Maybe Betty brings home a bad grade and you say to her, I don't ever want to see a bad grade like this. And you know what she's learned? She's learned anything that disappoints mom and dad, I have to hide it. Oh, encourage Show grace. Yes, our children will fail. Things will go wrong. It's okay. Show grace. Walk through this stuff with them. Yeah, there's punishment for breaking the law. But let's show grace to our children and let them see that God is a God of grace. And so encourage open discussion. Thirdly, thirdly, expect mistakes. Expect them. Romans 3, I think you know this verse, one of the more famous verses in all the Bible. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. And that includes our children. And it includes you as well. Why is your child a sinner? (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad, your child is a sinner because you're a sinner. And why are you a sinner? Because your parents were sinners. That goes to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. So every one of us is a sinner because our parents were sinners. So congratulations, mom and dad. You didn't give birth to angels. You gave birth to sinners. All have sinned. So you know what? When you realize that my child is a sinner, guess what you get to do? Just expect that there's going to be mistakes coming from that child. Expect them. If you expect that they're going to be perfect in all of their ways, the moment they sin, when they sin, the moment they sin, your whole worldview just got shattered. How is it that you can do this to me? Come on, mom and dad, expect that they're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. They're going to do things that will disappoint you. Maybe one day they'll come home with a bad grade, or one day they might repeat a bad word that they heard somebody else say. Or maybe they're going to say something that's inappropriate. You're at a family gathering and they say something, you just go, where did that come from? Don't talk like that. Expect it. Expect that your children will do things that aren't right. And remember, they're going to learn from you. So if you belt up your child, you can expect that your child will try to resolve the problems in his life with violence. If you use sharp words, don't be surprised when they use profanity. And if you try to cheat the system, don't be surprised when they steal right out of your belum. You see, they've learned it somewhere. Learned it from you. And so expect it. Expect that they'll make mistakes and they'll sin. And when you expect it, there's a different kind of reply if you're coming from grace. If you didn't expect it, suddenly they let you down. You've been living through them. You've been hoping that one day, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket of this son is going to grow up and he's going to do these great things. And the moment he fails you, you now hate him because he's not living up to your standard. A phrase that I heard, you're going to go back to the village and look after my pigs. You should talk to our kids that way. I'm going to raise you up, son, and when you fail... I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. I'm going to help you because God is a God of grace. And I'm going to model His character in my life so that you'll know how to know God. I said at the beginning, two things we're supposed to be teaching our children. Teach them to know God. Teach them to obey God. Today we're talking about knowing God. And in knowing God, I'm going to teach them how to understand grace. And when they fail... I'm going to walk through this with you, son. I think to myself in closing of a situation that happened in our family as I was growing up, and I think it will help to give example to this. Four of us boys growing up, and each one of us had similar things happen just as we graduated grade 12. Now, I don't know about Nate. I was already married and 
away from the house. So I, don't, I can't speak affirmatively about Nate's situation. But I do know the other three of us had this happen. Right after graduating grade 12 and right before going off to uni, each of us individually, I'm the oldest, and then two years later, David, then two years later, Ben, each one of us in that small gap between grade 12 and going to university, each one of us had a run in with the law. What I mean is the police got called. I won't go into all the details. If you want to know the story later, I'll share with you. Myself, had the police called on me at the airport. The SWAT team put a stop to me at gunpoint. 18 police vehicles surrounded the building that I was in. Let us say I had a run-in with the law. It was a mistake. It was an honest mistake. And yet, my mom and dad had to deal with that. Ben, third born, Ben got himself into trouble at the supermarket. He was playing games with some of his friends, and those games kind of got a little bit on the destructive side in the supermarket. Uh, and they were actual games, they were playing, but were really stupid games. Got themselves banned. Ben was never allowed to go back to that supermarket. Facial recognition, if that had been a thing back then, he definitely would not have been allowed back at the supermarket. The police were called on him. David, however, now, this is ironic because David is now a major in the police department, um, but there he was between his grade 12 graduation and starting university. David was picked up by the police and brought home in the police vehicle. He was under arrest. Again, it was a mistake. My mom and dad had to address it, had to take care of it. David had that placed on his record that he had been arrested. Now, if I were to take each one of those and let you examine, my parents, are they bad parents? I don't think so. But three boys in a row, run-ins with the law, just as they came out of grade 12, certainly something's not right. I think of the different ways that a parent could react to situations like that. And maybe if I can just bring it and make it close to home. What if it was your son? Let's say, for example, your son, you're at the house and you know what he's done. And let's say, for the sake of this example, he's repentant. He needs to make things right. And let's say he's there at the house with you and the police come knock on the door. Now, I'll walk through quickly different responses to that. One is the law. If you are a strict adherent to the law, you will say, Son, you did wrong. You disappointed me and your mom. You're about to head off to prison. Talk to me when you get out. Out you go. That's the law. That's the way the law works. I will say that a sinful response would be something like this. Son, I think that back window is open and I think you'll fit through it. Slip out the back window, hurry, I'll go to the door and I'll hold them off for as long as I can. That's a sinful response. But you know what a gracious response is? A response filled with grace is this. Son, what you've done is wrong. There's punishment for our sins. Son, I'm going to open this door. In the next few weeks, months, or years might be very different. But I'm going to walk through every bit of it with you. You open the door. Whether it's legal fees or prison visits or what it is, that's grace. And I wonder where your heart would be this morning as you think about the character of God and the character that you've displayed for your children, I wonder if you've been teaching your children the character of God by better understanding grace this morning. I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a moment to close us. But in all of this, can I point us back to the grace of the Lord Jesus? For you and I, in our sin, sat under the wrath of a holy God, who had every right and every reason to unleash His wrath upon us. 
But our Father, instead of unleashing wrath upon us and saying, be banished forever, I want no part of you, and instead of saying something like, well, it'll be okay, we'll just cover it up and act like it never happened, go on out the back door. Instead, he said, here's my son. I'm going to pay the hardest thing ever to take care of your sin. And in the grace of the Lord Jesus stepped as Christ went to the cross and took our sin upon himself. And so this morning, I might in further question ask, have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus and received the greatest gift ever, the grace of our Lord Jesus? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to walk through this concept this morning, knowing God by understanding grace. God, I pray, yes, the law is important. I pray that we would apply the punishment that comes together with breaking of the law, that we would apply that appropriately. But then, Lord, I pray we would not just leave it as you broke the law, here's the punishment, but instead I pray that we would be a reflection modeling the character of God as we walk through the reconciliation and making things right. Oh, you've been a gracious God to us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would display that grace in our lives for our children, for your glory and for our good. For it's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen. Church, thank you for.